prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. So let me just apologize ahead of time. My throat has been irritable, and uh, I'll be clearing it. I hope I don't do a loud clearing in the mic. So if I do, I apologize ahead of time. Matthew chapter 6, certain things about this prayer. Jesus gives us a pattern for how to pray. Starting at verse 9, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forget us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And we've noted this before. I just wanted to just rehearse it again. He's saying to pray, you have to have a relationship with God. And it starts with our Father. Not just, God, if you're there, I hope you hear me. It is a personal relationship. Now, the Bible makes it clear how that relationship is made, and it's made by trusting in Christ as the Lord and Savior. Our Father in heaven. So he recognized a personal relationship, the word our. He recognizes also a collectiveness. This is a prayer when he says our Father. He doesn't just say my Father. So it's reminding us that believers are not alone. We have brothers and sisters with us. So when we pray, we keep that in mind. Thank you, Lord. You didn't leave us here alone. So it's collectively our Father. He reminds himself where God is. He's in heaven. Each day I have to remind myself (laughs) that God is in heaven and he's in charge. And he is not sleeping (laughs) on the controls. He is doing things according to his purpose and his will. And I need to learn to trust him in that. So he's reminding that. And he says, it's hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? What does it sound like? Doesn't it sound like Halloween? <laughs> it does, actually. Because Halloween means hallowed day or evening. Eve. It means Holy Eve. It was supposed to be the Holy Day or the day before the Holy Day. November 1st was All Saints Day or Holy Day. And so October 31st was the eve before that. And so what Satan would normally do, like he always does, is he always wants to have his big hurrah uh, to mess up anything that that, uh, God's people would have towards God. But anyway, I digress. Hallowed means holy. Holy be your name. What does holy mean? What, when we say holy, what, what does that mean? You can talk. Everybody has the answers. They don't want to be the one to give the answers. So I guess I'll have to give the answers. <laughs> holy means unique distinct, set apart, different, and unique 
distinct, set apart, and different in some great ways. We talk about some of the attributes of God, and we say that they are, they are like human-like, but put to perfection. God is so unique and distinct and greater than we are. That's why we say he is holy. Um, most often we think today when we say holy, we talk, think about purity or, or uh, a righteousness or being right. Um, that, that kind of a holiness or pureness. Um, but God is pure because he is so distinct from all of his creation. Genesis makes it clear that the closest in creation to God is man. There's no other, uh, no other being or created thing that's, that's as close uh, um, to God <coughs> than man was. There's some heavenly or angelic beings as well. Um, but God made man in his image. But God is so much set apart and distinct from us. We need to sometimes just recognize that. And we, we do that in praise. God, you are holy. You are righteous. You are worthy of praise. Um, you are good. We, we just um, begin to, to think of all those things that speak of God. And so he's saying in his prayer, remember that. Remember who God is. We had a privilege to talk to him, and we need to remember who he is and what a privilege we have to be able to have a communication and talk with him. So he says that, hallowed be your name. Then he says this in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. Do you notice when Jesus reminded us how to pray, he didn't just start asking for stuff, right? Before he asked for anything, he recognized his relationship with God that, that allowed him to pray, where God was, who God is, what, what is unique about God. And then he begins, even from there, not to ask what he wants, but to think and ask towards what God desires. Your kingdom come. People say it's not about me. It's, it's about him. And that's true, but we need to really live that out in an everyday way. And, and so this is a practice in our everyday exercise. Lord, may your will be done. Most of the time, if we're honest, we pray for ease, right? You know, something to be, to be comforted in something, for something to go easier for us. Lord, if I just had a little bit more money, that, that, that will work, you know, Lord, help that. If I didn't have this ache or pain or suffering, if I didn't have to wait on this, and, and that's all focus on us. But he's saying, focus on, on God's purpose and God's will. What is God trying to do? We went, went through the book of Esther, and we were looking at how God is working behind the scenes. And the big picture behind all that is that God is bringing about his plan to bring his son to be Savior. And now that that has happened, Jesus has, has come he has lived, he has died, he has rose again. Now what is God's purpose in his plan? His plan is to complete the mission, right? His plan is to have his son return and rule in his kingdom. And so we should be praying towards God's kingdom being completed. So that kind of puts us in a perspective of what am I doing today towards God's purpose, towards God's will? 
uh, towards what God's plan. What, how, do, how am I fitting myself into that? Am I just going through the everyday things of life uh, and not recognizing that I, God purposed me? I'm like a piece of that puzzle. I've, I, I have a lot of puzzles at home, jigsaw puzzles, and some of them are 500 pieces and some of them are 1,000 pieces. You know, they're so hard. You know what I decided to do? I decided to glue them together once I did them. And so <laughs> they're glued together and I make a nice picture because I don't want to <laughs> take them apart again and go through that struggle. But when you look at one piece, you wonder, hmm, this doesn't seem to tell me much. But the more you look at it, you'll see how it fits in there. And if you ever have a big puzzle like that with a thousand pieces and you take one piece away, if you've done that puzzle, you feel like, ah, one piece. I can't believe it. I'm missing one piece. And we don't like that incompleteness. We don't like not having that one. No matter where that piece is in the puzzle, we want that piece to be there. You are like that piece. You need to figure out, you need to understand where you are or how God is fitting you. First of all, you need to recognize that God is fitting you into his plan. He's already purposed that. He has a place for you. And you are significant because of that. So you should be praying, Lord, your will be done in my life. Your will be done by me. Help me to see that. Help me to, to understand how I fit in that. You know, when I was growing up, especially as a young man, um, I always thought understanding God's will meant I'm going to be, like, famous in something, you know. I'm going to do something great. I'm going to do this big thing here or do this great thing over here, and the whole world will somehow hear about me. Um, it's natural for us to think that way because we live in a me-centered world, right? <laughs> but God is saying, you need to recognize how great it is to be part of God's plan. It doesn't take anything away from you. It's a blessing. You, we are all fitting into God's plan just the way he wants, just the way he designed it. And, uh, you know, there, there's no little use and big knees or big eyes, as they would say it. Um, we fit into that plan. We, our prayer then should be consistent with that. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he adds this, on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to close there. On earth as it is in heaven. The, the, the disciple, the one who's praying, is recognizing that God is going to complete his plan. Earth seems like it's messed up because it's not going in, doesn't seem to be going into God, fitting into God's plan, but actually it is. And God is going to bring his will about completely on earth eventually. Uh, one day he's going to bring that about. That's not happening totally yet. We see so much mess. We see so much sin. Uh, we wonder, wow. You know, I, I think, Lord, I, I would love to just leave this place. I love to, to go on. But he's saying, I'm going to bring about my purpose on earth just like it is in heaven. And we that gives us hope. That, that, that gives us something to, to look forward to. So we, we worship God. We thank him. We stay in that train of thought. God is completing what he has set out to do. So I can pray. I can pray confidently. God is in control. He's doing his purpose. He has me as a part of that. I can pray confidently. I'm going to ask Brian if he come bring the rest of our meditation time.
Good evening. We're going to be continuing with our meditation, but we're going to move to a different book. As we went through Amos, we're going to leave Obadiah and Jonah others to go through, but we'll go to the book of Micah. We'll start with Micah 3. Prophet Micah. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the, tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, and break their bones in pieces, and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide their face from them at this time, because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips. For there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice, and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood, and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mouth of the house a wooded height. All right. This is our passage. One of the things I like to do when you study a passage like this, first thing that you want to look at is the structure. Where does it begin? Where does it end? Are there similarities in the beginning and ending? That'll tell us a lot about the passage. How does the passage begin? Who is he addressing? Hmm? The leaders, how does it end? He's addressing the leaders. All right, so whenever we see repetition in the scripture, why do you think there's repetition? You think because the author just like to say something more than once? Or do you think that maybe he's trying to bring attention to something? <coughs> right, so here's the thing. When you see something like this, just like when the pastor pointed it out when he went through Psalm, ah, oh man, what was it, 45, 46? when you pre preached 42 and 43, when he taught those psalms together, there was some phrases that were repeated over and over, and that gave the structure for that passage, right? So if one of the things when we look at a passage, the structure is going to determine the meaning of that passage. This one, we have a clear-cut structure in this one because it starts and ends the same way, right? 
Look what it starts with, verse 1. And I said, hear you, heads of Jacob. And how does it end? Verse 9, hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob. We got a beginning and an end. We know that there is a straight-up message that is self-contained in chapter 3 because it has a definite beginning and end. Right? We're not cutting in the middle of anything by reading chapter 3. We don't have to get more explanation in chapter 4 or get background in chapter 2. We got a beginning and an end. All right? So we got this addressing the leaders. How does it start? Well, it talks about how bloody they are and how they do evil and try to profit off it in the very first three verses, doesn't it? And then in the last four verses, you kind of got a similar thing. So let's do this. I'm going to read verse 1 through 3, and somebody else can read verse 9 through 12. Who will read 9 through 12 for me? Brother Aaron will. All right, so I'll read 1, 2, 3, and then you immediately just start reading 9 through 12. And I said, Hear you, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, who flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? What happens in the beginning and the end is that the leaders are addressed. What's the specific sin that they're doing? What does it mean when it says it eats the flesh from the people? You think they're saying they were cannibals? Okay. Right? And look at the parallels here between verse 1 and verse 9, right? What does it say? The heads, and then it talks about justice. And look at verse 9, you who detest justice and make crooked everything that is straight. What you're getting from here is this. In that double meaning, it explains itself in a mirror way. In other words, what it says at the front part is explained in the last. And what's talked about in the last is explained in the front. Let's look at it again. What does it mean for them not to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, or verse 9, you make crooked all that is straight. Right? Verse 2, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people, who tear their flesh from off their bones. And it keeps going in verse 3. What does that mean? Verse 10, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads give judgment for a bribe. The priests teach for a price. The prophets practice divination for money. What are they doing? They are using political and religious things to get rich. Do we know pastors who got a lot of bling and running around? No, we don't have that problem in America. We don't have no TV shows about that. But they have something in common. Verse 4 and verse 11 at the end. Verse 4 says, Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time, because they have made their deeds evil. And at the end of verse 11, yet they will lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. But because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. When you play games with God, 
God play games with you. When you're honest and straightforward with God, God seems to be straightforward and honest. When you're crooked and treacherous, it seems like God dodges you. Verse 5 and 6 start to talk about the curse of them. And that's in the very middle. And I think that's what the judgment is, right? So if you look at the outside of this chapter, it's explaining what they do. And in the middle part, it explains what the judgment is specifically for them. That they can do all that stuff and they're still not going to figure out what God is going to do. I dare you, you could turn on CNN and you can definitely tell what's not going to happen by what they say is going to happen. They could look at the stock market all they want. They have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow because they do not look towards the Lord. They think they know who's going to win the next election. They don't know. They think they know what's going to happen tomorrow. They do not know. They think they know whether the stock market is going up or down. They do not know. In many ways, they're no different than somebody who's rolling dice out there just hoping to be right. And many people follow these people. I believe these people are in many ways the false preachers of our age. Yes, we have false preachers who go out and get in churches, but I believe there are a lot of people on this TV that want to convince you they know what they're talking about. They want to convince you that they know the truth. And they're no different than these people. I think of people who grow rich off of other people's poverty. Especially in our society, we got people who start poverty agencies and they getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars and you look at what's donated versus what's going out and it's a scam. And how many people get busted for stuff like that? It's a scam. And they want to talk like they for the little man. You got people who talking about, oh yeah, man, I'm for everybody getting a little bit of the pie. And they millionaires. They don't understand you. Are you kidding me? These people, a lot of people who are getting rich off of the abortion industry, that's straight up flesh. That is straight up, in some ways, cannibalism, profiting off the murder of babies. Other people profit off war. Other people profit off of whatever it is. Somebody shoot up a school, they're the happiest that can be because they think they can get their agenda going forward. This is the sign of a society that is being about to be judged by God. And I believe that when we look at America, we see a society that is slipping more and more into iniquity. It's breaking down because of sin. Doesn't matter what political party you at. Don't pretend that your guys is good and the other guys is bad because there's a lot of corruption going on on both sides because they don't recognize who the Lord is. And don't think it's just the high people higher up because you can go on a job. You can go on Burger King and somebody making $7, $7 an hour and they stealing from the company. They just as corrupt as any politician would be. It's not about highness. It's not about lowness. It's about the heart that needs to be saved. Amen. Good evening, everybody. All right. So today... We'll do a little talk and then go over what we're going to pray about. Um, what I want to focus on prayer again is I want to actually reiterate our focus from last week. Who remembers what we prayed about last week in my section? I'm going to pick on you last. Give me your 
Buddy, remember? Anybody remember? Finances. Brian got it. About how our church finances are under attack. You guys remember that now? So what I want us to pray about is, I want to pray about that again, but I want to kind of talk to you about some things about finances. First of all, we are still under financial attack. A um, couple instances just happened this week. Um, first one is our bank did bogus, <laughs> and they basically bounced two of the checks that were paid to be paid to Pastor and his wife, his payroll checks, and they got charged fees, and none of the banks will admit that they messed up, and none of them will reimburse the fees. So obviously the church has to do right and pay them their fees, right? Which costs us money. Like I said, under attack. The other one is, um, and I'm picking my words carefully at this part, is there was a theft of some money of giving to the church. And I want to be clear. I don't want us to go around trying to figure out who did it, trying to be detectives. That doesn't matter. I want us to pray because it's another instance of an attack by Satan on our church. But also, I want to just reiterate for us, I know we're in church, and this should be a safe place, but we still have to remember that worldly people can do things, you know. Even saved people can be tempted. So still be careful with your finances. Keep it with you. Keep it in a safe place. If you have it with you and you don't know a place to keep it, I will hold it for you. So you can find me, and I will hold it for you and make sure it gets in the offering plate as well. So that's an option as well. So just, but... I want to just show, and I want to pray about it again, because you can see our church is at a time where we're focusing on encouraging us and challenging us to give and to continue to keep up the commitment we made on our church budget. And it's like the more we do it, the more Satan's like, no, I'm going to attack this. And God is in control. God can come. He's done it in the past. He gave us land, you know, out of nowhere. You know, God can... You know, use this. This missing money is it was his will. He allowed it to happen. He could have money replace it any way he wants. But I want to continue to just say, be mindful. Continue to be wise with you know how we're doing. I know it. Like I said, I don't blame anybody. I don't blame this person. Sometimes we forget we're at church, you know, and we think that this is a safe place, but stuff may happen. But let's pray. Let me have two people pray to continue to pray for our finances that God continue to work, continue to fund this ministry. Um, and remember, like, we've been praying about this building next door. We've been praying about the roof, you know, in your personal pray, prayer time. These are things that we want to, that's a financial need of the church that we want to do. You know, we almost got a, um, a lead that, the, that we thought that the building next door might have been up for auction. It didn't seem like it is. It doesn't seem like it is. But, the, you know, that might be a realistic thing in the future that might be a way for us to get that building at a very cheap price. So let's pray about these. Let's pray about what God is doing in our church financially and that he can continue to just lead our financial ship and continue to just encourage the people, encourage to give them, to continue to give and be faithful in that and to just meet our needs, okay? So let me have two people who want to pray about that tonight and then I'll close us up. Who wants to pray? Aaron, one, one more. Anybody else? Okay, Mark got it, and then I'll close us up.
we just continue to lift up our finances. We lift up the work that you are doing through this church. And Lord, we look at our finances as, um, it seems like it's a big thing because it is such a big part of the ministries and the things that we're doing here. But we know for you as an infinite God, an infinite powerful God, that this is nothing to you. This is little things. We ask that you continue to just encourage us in light of that. Keep us reminded about that. Keep us reminded that this ministry is in your control. This ministry, even if we had millionaires in this church, that if you wanted it to end, you could end it. Um, even if we had the poorest of the poor in our city in this church, you can keep it funded. You can keep it funded until you come back, Lord. But we know that you have that ability. And we ask that you continue to just continue to stir up your people, continue to encourage them, continue to bless them, that they can continue to give and give wholeheartedly and give generously. We ask that you continue to fund this ministry, that we continue to do a mighty work in your city, Lord. And we know that you have used us in a mighty way, especially connecting us with the rescue mission as, you know, as a way that we can continue our mission here in the city, continue to reach men, continue to reach their families. And we just praise you for that. And we ask that you continue to just um, bless us in a mighty way. You know that we have been praying about the roof that needs to be fixed and the building next door. And these are two avenues of things that we need to do and we would like to do. And that it is an avenue that we can continue to just grow our ministry and do many things with them. And um, we ask that you just bless that. And we ask you bless us financially above what we even think is possible that we can make this happen. In your name we pray. Amen.